Are Hollywood blockbusters ruining movies? We discuss this and more with special guest Jillian Schroeder on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, public intellectual, and with me as always is my pretentiously popular co-host. Nathan Clark's an actor, actor, author, filmmaker, private intellectual, <laughs> and I like to appear dumb to the public and keep my all my intelligence hidden behind closed doors. Don't um, be fooled. Don't be fooled. That's how he gets you. He sneaks up on you. <laughs> it's it's a bait and switch. Um, and what's my what's my last thing? Um, I, I don't know. Fan of blockbuster and cinema movies. <laughs> there you go. Today, but just going with topic. But it's descriptive. It's accurate. And yes. Descriptive. Thank you. <laughs> and with us today is a very special guest. She is a writer and film critic and educator who's written for outlets like Evie Magazine and runs the excellent online newsletter, The Tardy Pilgrim. She's an educator based out of Texas who teaches film and the joy of film to lots and lots of young people. She is also a fan of the show. She is the joyful, the jovial, the jubilant Jillian Schroeder. Jillian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It, it's I, absolutely I don't know a that pleasure. I've... I don't know that I've heard that many J's with my name before, and it just, it, it sounds wonderful. Thank you. That, that was a fantastic good, right? intro. It's kind of his thing. Yeah. You know, you know, the, when you Google uh, J adjectives of J names, the, you know, there's only a few that come up, but they're all really, really lovely. I, I love them. So I always get a uh, happy <laughs> yeah. when I get an opportunity to share them. In adjectives aren't quite as... I was going to say nice. I think nice is the only thing we have. We have like naked and nerdy and numbskull and nimpoop. So nefarious. Yeah, yes. nefarious. Yeah. So the end ones are fun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm ex we're excited to have Jillian on today because today we're going to be discussing whether blockbusters are ruining movies. Uh, but first, Nathan, if people enjoy our discussion and want to engage more with our content and meet fellow overthinkers like themselves, like Jillian, where can they go? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.world where they can find out more about their hosts, and it's there they can send us all of their love and hate mail. They can also join the online private Facebook group called The Overthinkers, where there's almost 20,000 overthinkers getting into great discussions about all the fun stuff we talk about here. Also, there's tons of very intellectual and silly memes. We want you among our ranks. Head on over and join. Uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review and sharing with a friend. It really does help us so very much. Awesome. Everyone ready to get started? Let's do it. In 2019, Martin Scorsese set off a firestorm by online by saying that superhero movies are not real cinema, prompting superhero fans online to lose their minds. He followed up with an article in the New York Times where he explained that he feared Hollywood and movie theaters uh, obsession with making blockbusters that are all about the spectacle and getting the widest audience possible were crowding out more thoughtful and creative movies from the multiplex. To quote, in many places around this country and around the world, franchise films are now your primary choice if you want to see something on the big screen. It's a perilous time in film exposition, and there are fewer independent theaters than ever. It's a chicken and the egg issue. If people are given only one kind of thing and endlessly sold only one kind of thing, of course they're going to want more of that one kind of thing. And it wasn't the only one. Hollywood legends like Jodie Foster and Francis Ford Coppola also lent their voice of support to Martin Scorsese views, as well as uh, many of the film community and online film space, comparing blockbusters to candy, which were getting audiences addicted to the cinematic equivalent of junk food. 
they point to after the birth of the mega blockbuster with Titanic and the rise of the superhero genre in the early 2000s. Hollywood studios have shifted much more to a focus on tentpole mega blockbusters with enormous production budgets and enormous marketing budgets, attempting to appeal to the widest possible demographic, leading to a much bemoaned death of the mid-budget movie, as recounted in Flavor Article uh, Wire article on the topic. But blockbuster movies have their defenders, such as James Gunn, who directed the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He defended blockbusters and superhero movies uh, that are like uh, that they're like any other movies, uh, that there are good ones and bad ones. So it doesn't make sense to say that blockbusters are ruining movies. Others have pointed out to the many acclaimed and financially successful mid-budget movies that uh, Hollywood continues to make, whether they're horror movies like Get Out, historical satires like Jojo Rabbit, or sports dramas like Iron Claw. So, Julian, you are a film critic, but then you also are educating young people. And so you're seeing, you know, the the new crop of young people who are and what their expectations are for movies, having been raised on this sort of the the era of the mega blockbuster. Um, have you seen kind of a, a retardation of people's ability to appreciate movies and cinema? Do you think that um, that blockbusters are kind of forcing out other kinds of movies or do you think that this fear is over overblown that's a really good question um so i would say what i have noticed in particular in my students is it really is more a question of exposure so a a lot of the students that i teach are in high school they grew up in the superhero era you know marvel movies have been coming out pretty much in theaters by twos or threes as long as they've been alive um and I'll go ahead and get this out there. I am a fan of Marvel movies in general. You know, I think there are some good and bad ones, um, but I I don't know that I could say I could get out. Scorsese. <laughs> yes, you do not fit in here. We hate Marvel movies. <laughs> um, but I have noticed that a lot of my students have difficulty going back from only being exposed to that type of film mm. to then watching some of the older classics. Um, and there's a lot of re-education that I do when I'm working with them. So we start back at the silent films in my class to kind of clear wow. their minds and their experiences. And that sort of opens them up to some other films that otherwise they might not necessarily fully appreciate. That's great. I think that's really, really interesting. I love that you come from a position where you actually do love both of these kinds of genres and these kinds of films. Um, you know, I, I am someone uh, who who loves both of these things. I love a Scorsese film. I love a Coppola film. I love the the beauty and the art and the depth. I, I like the writing that, that really invites me to this intricate and complex story. I also love superhero films and big budget films with explosions and action and people wearing, you know, uh, spandex costumes and saving the world. Those are as equally enjoyable, but in a different way. And so what I think is missing from this conversation is these kinds of movies, the art house movies that are, you know, dark and interesting and complex and the superhero or big budget action movies or whatever it might be, um, you know, that, that are, uh, supposedly shallow or fun or whatever. Um, I think that people are missing as a part of this conversation that these things are intended for different purposes, right? You know, it was interesting, Joseph, in your opening, you talked about food. You talked about them comparing them to candy. 
well, what's wrong with candy? Who doesn't like candy? Candy's fun. You know, I've heard of these movies called popcorn flicks, uh, particularly the big budget blockbuster ones. They're called popcorn flicks. And it's like, well, everyone loves popcorn. What's wrong with popcorn? You know, popcorn isn't meant to serve the same purpose as a kale salad or a baked chicken. Like both of these things serve a different purpose. Now, I think now what could be the breakdown here is people believe that no one should eat candy or have junk food ever. Now, I personally believe that I, I do try to eat healthy. I love whole grains and great meat and, you know, all those kind of things. Um, but I also like to binge on some M&Ms and some Skittles every now and again. And I think there's benefit to actually both. One of them <laughs> actually helps my mind and allows me to escape and allows me to have fun. The other one really builds up my physical body. And I think the same is true for both blockbuster and art house films. I think that one of them will challenge you and, and draw you deeper into a greater emotional mental experience. And one of them is made to be escapism that allows you to escape from the difficulties and frustrations of the world and maybe even offer you a little bit of hope and fun while you're there. And I think that that is hard for people in these two different camps to see the value in the other person's camp. I think it's hard for the kale salad to see the value in Skittles and vice versa. But I think that something we really need to remember is there uh, is the idea that everything is made for a different purpose and it's okay to engage in different things for different purposes. Um, but the place where it becomes unhealthy is at the extremities. Right. And so if you only live at one of the extremes, you're going to be healthy, unhealthy. If you only M&Ms, I promise you, you're going to have a hard time walking. And I promise you, if you only kale salads, you will be a grumpy, upset, emotionally um, just wrecked person if you only kale salads and baked chicken all the time. I can promise you this. So I think one thing that I want to remember here that I think is kind of missing as a part of the discussion, at least from the people who are having up at the higher ups, is what maybe Scorsese and, and all the people who are kind of speaking against these don't understand is that yes you are making great health food and it's really really good and people need to eat that it's more filling it will help you it'll deepen you as a person uh, both mentally and emotionally but at the same time sometimes people need some popcorn um, sometimes people need something sweet to make their days and so that's really what i want to kind of start and kind of add into this conversation um but joseph i want to hear your thoughts on this Yes. So I, I've had um, I've had historically extremely public thoughts on this because this is where I I my my one time I got published in the New York Times was when I wrote a I was at the top of the letters to the editor responding to Martin Scorsese's article on this, <laughs> um, which which I'm going to I'm going to hold on to that that I got published in the New York Times. Just for, link for it in the show time. notes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, and, and the what I think is there are a couple of things I think I think that that are very valid in in this fear. I understand the fear because again, I'm you know a a film critic. You know, this is I get paid to give my opinions on movies. I have the AMC Stubbs A list card because I go to movies. You know, I go to movies like every week, and I love and I love seeing like you, Nathan. I love seeing big blockbusters. I love seeing small indie films, and. I think the fear from a lot of people like Martin Scorsese is he says, look, I have no problem with, you know, a, a popcorn movie. I have no problem with that. His problem, of course, is that he fears that those movies are crowding out the other kind of movies. So the other movies are either not going to get made or are not going to get the audience that they deserve to have. And I I understand that fear. And I think and that's fear of fear, particularly because like, Martin Scorsese, he's made his career making these kind of movies and he's seeing his kind of movies that he makes get sort of crowded out of the marketplace and not be the big movie that everybody's seeing. 
And to your point, you know, so Jillian's saying, look, when people are raised kind of on a steady diet of only one kind of movies, it takes some re-educating to get them back into um into be appreciate a different kind of movie. So I, I I I so I understand where that's coming from. And I think like as you said, again, if it's good to have a balance of both, but what if nobody is actually getting the balance of the other thing? And my my sort of where where I pushed back sort of on Martin Scorsese back then and where I sort of push back now is the first off, I don't see evidence exactly that things are worse now than they were prior. Mm. So one of is that you know people it, it's there it's people used to you know it's not like everybody was always watching you know a Scorsese movie and suddenly they stopped. You know the thing is he's talked about one of the he's talked about the fact that like he can't get the budget he wants for to make the movies that he wants to anymore. But the thing that he leaves out about that is that his budgets have progressively gotten bigger and bigger. Mm. It's if he wanted to make a movie for the same budget that he made Goodfellas for, he probably could, but he wants the budget of a Marvel movie to make a movie that was probably never going to make even back in the old days, that kind of money. So I think we've always had this aspect of, you know, making those movies in a ways that are that are the the blockbuster the western the the popcorn movie has always had a larger audience i also say that a lot of these popcorn movies are actually incredibly depthful and again not all of them are perhaps not even most of them are but again i defy you to actually look at the first iron man film for example and not see the complexity of that story and yeah. and the deconstruction of a man who thought he you know, knew everything. And, and, and mm-hmm. I would defy you to look at the dark Knight, or even again, you know, some of the, the guardians of the galaxy films and not see how deeply complex some of those movies are. That was sort of the James Gunn point. The other thing I would say is though, is that one of the things is the assumption that because people are not mate watching as much of the, well, the other thing is the indie stuff is still getting made. Like the smaller budget stuff is still getting made. It's not like they're not making those films anymore. I still, again, the Florida Project, Eye in the Sky, Iron Claw, The Covenant, you know, the uh, this film, uh, Priscilla, you know, all these films these are still getting made and they're, and people are still watching them. And I finally, the other thing I would say about it is, is that, you know, I had, I love The Florida Project, it's, which is a, a very non-commercial film about a single mother and her child and how horrible, you know, that life is. It's one of, it's a movie that'll make you cry, you know, out of your trolling. And I was, trying to encourage my some of my friends to like watch that and as one pastor i was trying to encourage to watch it and he said you know look i don't want to watch a movie about a pastoral situation i would actually have to deal with and i think Mm. that to a certain degree one of the things we lose is the fact that most people i see like a movie a week you know most people only see like a movie a month and those people in their lives are actually dealing with the weird complexity that and and the harsh stuff. And so the fact that they're prioritizing the blockbuster movie isn't necessarily a uh, an example of how shallow they are. It's an example of I'm already dealing with that stuff, so I want my art to be a little bit more enjoyable. So those are some of the things yeah. I think are nuances to that. But again, I so Jillian, where would you? either push back or add to some of this uh, that we're that we're talking about. I'm so glad you brought up that point about the the variance within even just the genre of 
say superhero blockbuster films because that was actually something that I thought of when I was preparing for this. I mean, when I think about the first Avengers film, the years that it took to build up to making a film like that, which seemed impossible at the time, and the complexity of what is going on with the characters makes it just an extraordinary film. Um, And not all of the Marvel movies are like that. What we have seen in more recent years is more franchise fatigue, right? People get sick of seeing something that feels formulaic. There's not as much, whether it's uh, originality or, you know, people get tired of sort of the same thing over and over again. But that doesn't mean that all films within that particular genre have that same issue when it comes to the depth. There are a lot of them that do have that depth. Um, And, you know, speaking to some of those more indie films, I think this is something that has changed a lot and is rapidly changing in the day that we live in now with the rise of production studios like A24 films, which, you know, it's a small independent film production company. Um, And most of the films that they have produced not only do well at the award shows, but they're making a lot of money in the movie theaters. Films like Iron Claw, Priscilla, Hereditary, Lady Bird, like all of these are films that are doing both well with the critics and with the audiences as well. That's pretty new on the scene where it has sort of been this division. And now there isn't this same type of division between that big picture blockbuster and maybe the more emotionally complex indie film. Yeah, this is good. It's interesting you bring up that all of a sudden you actually have these indie films that actually are making money. And, you know, kind of back to Scorsese's um, gripe, what I feel like, you know, he he aims it at the studios, right? You aren't making the deep, interesting kind of movies that um, I think should be made that, that are artistic. You're just making these silly blockbuster um, popcorn films. But what his real gripe with, if, if you kind of peel that back and look at who he's actually griping with, it's the audience. Because studios are just a tool. They're not really a an ethical organization. They are an amoral place that follows numbers. So they will make whatever makes money. And the way you gauge how something makes money is by the audience that sees them. And so what they've found is very often, at least for the past up, up until recently, it was the movies that make money are the big blockbusters, and the ones that don't are these art house films. They might win Oscars, but no one saw them except the three people who voted for them to win that Oscar. And so what you have is Scorsese and, and his ilk are actually critiquing the audience. You should be spending your dollars to go see these art house films. Why aren't you? Why aren't you coming to see my film as much as you spent going to see The Avengers? And that's a really, really interesting thing, because I do think there is something to explore there. Um, and, and so I have a few different thoughts on kind of what's going on. But Joseph, I, I like what you brought up about how um, about your pastor friend and how he goes. He's dealing with these these big, big issues, these dark, these heavy issues with his congregants and the people in his community. Um, all the time. So when he sees a movie, maybe once or twice a month, he's actually looking for that escapism. I think there's this kind of undercurrent of assumption that is if you're watching a blockbuster movie, you're a shallow person. 
that you are someone who doesn't have much depth and you don't want to engage with something with much depth. When actually, if you look at the world, and I know the world's always really been difficult, but I think we are, at because of social media, because of the internet, we are exposed to the darkness and heaviness of the world to a far greater degree than we ever have been. I mean, just this morning, as I'm turning on my computer, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter. I really got to stop this. I really got to stop opening, <laughs> opening my eyes and immediately going to the news or Twitter because it's just really, really bad for my mental bro seriously i wake up and i'm just like mad at the world i'm like i gotta stop that i gotta like wake up and but that's kind of the point right that we are so often confronted with the darkness and complexity that takes so much mental anguish and strength for us to work through our days that when we go to our entertainment we kind of want something escapist and it's not because we're and it's not because we aren't deep it's because we want a couple hours where we don't have to be deep because we know that as soon as we turn off that movie we're gonna have to be and so the marvel movies and and the ilk of the marvel movies gave us something that could be fun it, it still dealt with uh with depth as you said joseph of good and evil and fighting things but it did it in a way that we could escape for a couple hours into a safe place we knew the good guy was, would win in the end and so I think that's a really important thing is to see that a lot of the criticism isn't so much the studios, it's at the audience. And then I want to look at, and as we see the audience, I believe, my, my positive is that the audience actually wants something to escape because the world has gotten so difficult. Now, my answer to this, because I do agree with you that if you only eat Skittles, it's going to be really bad for you. Um, but, you know, it's, but Joseph, as you pointed out, it's hard to convince everybody to eat kale all the time, even if it's good for them. Kale sucks, guys. It tastes it tastes like wet paper. It's not good. I've tried. All right. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox about how terrible kale is. Suck it, kale, you Bush League superfood. Um, <laughs> but it is good for me. And But I don't always want to eat it. I want chips, all right? Sue me. Um, don't. I can't afford that. Um, but <laughs> again, still, I cannot afford this since last time I said that. Um, but... Here's the thing that I think that is possible. What's the best kind of food? If we think about this, really the best kind of, is it kale? No, I'm, let's be honest, it's not. But is it Skittles? No, it's not. The best kind of food is a food that is both um, incredibly satisfying and tasty and easily accessible. You know, me and, me and Keely, we make this this meal called stew and, we, and we're basically evangelists. We made it, we figured out our own recipe during the, uh, the pandemic. But this I'm meal a convert. Is, Yes, you are a convert. Joseph actually made it. So, you know, write me, I'll give you the recipe. But this meal is filled with really healthy. It has lean meat. It has vegetables. It has fiber. We, we calculated all the all this stuff a while ago. Um, and it was super healthy. Like it, it has everything you need in a meal. All your macros or micros or whatever your health nuts are into. Um, it has all of those. But it's also super good and you dip chips in it and you put a little cheese in it and it's just so, so good. So it's both healthy and it's really, really enjoyable. And I think that is possible for art as well. And I think that's – and Jillian, you were kind of talking about this, that we have seen this thing start to pop up where you get these interesting, complex, creative – movies particularly from studios like a24 ifc or, Fo or fox searchlight that are creative and interesting but also entertain and give us that kind of fun feeling we're looking for and i think that's a really really cool thing when that happens and i think that's that's really the money in my opinion a studios listen to me that really should be spent this is something that's going to entertain and and bring delight to people but it's also going to be something that actually makes us a deeper healthier 
um, people in our minds and our emotions and, and just our thought processes. So that's kind of my thoughts. Again, I keep on going back to food. I must be hungry. Um, but I do think that it's possible to have something that's both that you can kind of marry these two, what seems like divorced worlds of the high art and the high entertainment. And you can bring something that's both incredibly entertaining while causing deep thought and making us healthier, deeper people. Um, Joseph, do you have any thoughts on that? Am I right? Am I wrong? Uh, I'm going to let the film critics tell me if I'm right. You're so rarely wrong, which is why it's so much fun to talk to you. Um, but uh, no, I will say this. This is um, this is really great. I agree. What's what's fascinating about this for me. And so I'm going to get I'm going to kind of give like the advice to like the artists, the critics and audience. There's a three right. separate, you know, um, but the uh, 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 the um, the artist one is you're exactly right, is, you know, uh, the. Well, the metaphor that I've used is, is C.S. Lewis has talked about the selfish man and the self-centered man. And the selfish man, you know, uh, the self-centered man does things for others, but only thinks about himself. And the selfish man, you know, um, only does things he wants to do, but thinks about others. And I won't, you know, I look at, go through surprise by joy. He goes and talks about that. But I think that there is a sense in which, you know, what, you know, as artists, we want to think about the things we're interested in. And we don't want to always think about what other people are interested in. I think it is actually healthy for you to think about what would somebody else enjoy when you're making our art, even as you say what you want to say. I think that that's not only financially helpful, I think it is spiritually helpful to mm. actually not be as self-centered and actually think about what people, other people want and care about. But I also say this is that what's so encouraging to me is I've seen actually that trend happen. The rise of a, a filmmaker like Jordan Peele is evidence to the fact that people have been like, oh, you can do a horror movie that has something to say. Like the, the renaissance of horror movies has basically been, how do we take something like family trauma and then do it, package it in a way that's a horror film. And that's, I think, and I've seen, you saw that last year. I mean, last year, what were the two biggest movies? They were Barbie and Oppenheimer, which is this, you know, Barbie, which is this brightly colored deconstruction of the patriarchy and feminism, you know, and Oppenheimer, which is an R-rated biopic about that about the atomic bomb. And those were the movies because they figured out, I think, and then the rise of A24, which, you know, with everything everywhere all at once, and some of those movies that figure yeah. out, here's how to way to make movies that are weird and interesting and have something to say, but they speak a language that other people can understand. And so I think that's actually encouraging that unlike what some of the doomsday sayers were saying that the rise of Marvel movies was going to destroy kind of art, it's actually taught people how to do their weird mumblecore movies in a way that other people could hear what they were saying. And so that's that's for the artists, that kind of, I would say, that encouraging thing that's happened. The second thing for the critics, I would say, is don't talk down to your audience. A lot of people don't listen to critics or read critics because they can feel the contempt in your voice when yeah. you talk to them and about them. And again, I, I have struggled with this where I can sometimes like I can I can uh, I can come off as contemptuous of audience members and talking to you. It's like, oh, you don't like the kind of things that you should like, you know, that I which by which mean that I like. And I've really worked on that as a spiritual practice in myself to not do that. Because first of all, that's not how you treat people who are made in the image of God. And second of all, they'll stop listening to you. So I think one thing is critics, I would advise critics to um, to actually like learn to talk to their audience in a way that they can earn their respect and not feel like they've contempt for them. But the third thing I'll say is for an audience, look, you also have a responsibility to say, you know, I actually want to watch movies and engage with art that will better myself. And I would say, find people 
whose views you trust. Because you can't see all the movies. Find a critic. Find a, a online YouTuber. Whoever it is. But know that like you trust their judgment. So if they say, hey, there's this weird movie that you haven't heard of but is really good, then go to that movie. And so that's because because that There's will expand. Two great options for <laughs> for voices right here, guys. There's two great yeah. options. So you know, take so, your pick. Pick your poison. So those are there's my advice to the the artist, the critic, and the audience. But uh, but Jillian, what would you add to sort of like wrap up like the analysis of the situation that we're in, and then then what you would advise uh, people to do, and and the stuff, anything that we've missed in this? No, I, I think you do. I think you do the the situation justice when you address sort of each of those different camps, because there are sort of three different ways that people need to be approaching this situation. You know, Scorsese does have a point that there are a lot of people, I many of them, I would say, of the younger generation, who just don't necessarily have the film literacy to even uh, know what they're missing out on. Um, and, yeah. you know, there is a lot of that that comes to sort of the audience, you know, here is where your responsibility lies, right? And I agree with you, you know, not everybody likes to watch three movies a week, right? So you don't all have to be AMC sub members, that's okay. Find the person who can give you advice on, you know, whether it's a classic film or a newer film that just came out, tell you, hey, this is really good. This is worth two hours of your time and $15 out of your pocket, right? Um, so absolutely, I think that's true. But Definitely with the artists, um, it has been very encouraging to me as well. I, I'm glad you said that because honestly, up until last year, I had begun to fall into this narrative, right? There's these two camps. There's the small indie films that me and three other people enjoy. And then there's, you know, Avatar that I don't particularly like and everybody else goes to see. Same. And <laughs> so, you know, I, I had kind of fallen into that negativity almost like a, a kind of artistic feeling of despair right and then last year both with barbie and oppenheimer but i think we saw this in a lot of other films as well such as the iron claw which is an incredible film incredibly complex and also did remarkably well at the box office for something that really they didn't like put a ton of money into um when you see success like that I think we're seeing artists lean more on some of the solid foundation of just good storytelling, um, which does go back to seeing human beings as human beings, right? In order to really tell stories that speak to humans, you have to see them that way. We're not algorithms. We're not a bunch of built-in fan bases. We're people. And there are things that people yearn for and desire and stories can speak to that. And I I have been encouraged to see more stories that whether it's the whole film or parts of the film are leaning into that. And I think those are the stories that are being successful even more so than some of those ones that get several hundred millions put into their special effects. It used to be that would, those would be the movies that topped the box office. That's not what we saw last year. The films that topped the box office last year, many of them were of high quality, but a lot of it comes down to the the story is solid and those building blocks yeah. provided a firm foundation. 100%. I totally agree. And yeah, you know, I'll just speak to the audience out there because, you know, um, because we, we have a bunch of listeners. What I encourage you to do is keep coming back to this food thing is see your intake of films of art. And by the way, this is true kind of across the board. I'm someone who loves just like an airport 
novel, like, you know, just thriller, just, you know, totally written silly. I love that. And I also typically have some like really complex philosophy book that I don't understand half of it going on. Those are two good things. I do this because I really like both of these things. Same with video games. There are these art house video games. And then there's the ones where you just run around blowing stuff up. Both of these have value in my life. And so I'd say, hey, if you're someone who only is kind of condescendingly looking down on people um, who, you know, who watch these popular movies or whatever, and you only watch these art house movies made in, you know, across the world uh, 200 years ago, uh, then, you know, maybe don't beat yourself up if you find yourself enjoying something just kind of fun and light. That's okay. Maybe sometimes you need that. And to, to the people who only ever watch, you know, really easy, uh, easily accessible um, kind of popcorn movies, I would encourage you to try something a little deeper. Challenge your mind. You might be really glad that you did, that you that you decided to engage with something that asked more of you as you watched it, because you might get something out of it and grow as a person. So I'd encourage both of these camps to kind of come to the middle. And then as far as the filmmakers Let's see some more films that can do both of these, that can stand hand in hand and be, as you were saying, Julian, just to to rest on the kind of the laurels of good storytelling. So it can be entertaining and fun and interesting, but, but at the same time, actually deepen us and make us think new thoughts and make us more intellectual um, people. So that would be kind of the thing I would close up with um, before we jump into blesses and curses. But Joseph, do you have any, any last thoughts before uh, we move on? Yeah, no, I no, I would just I I echo all of that. I would say is that that all of that is really good. And yeah, I would say that finding finding the people you trust to guide you through this. And again, if you have a friend who is really into this, sitting down and watching with them is, I think, a really important thing because sometimes having someone there who can help guide your eye to the thing that um that you maybe you're not seeing is is can be something as something that's really helpful. It's it's helpful for me as I was starting to grow in my love of film. And also it'd be a great bonding experience. Um, so that's, that's what I would say. Um, Jillian, do you have any last minute advice before we move on to blessings and curses? I think you guys about summed it up. I'm ready for blessings and curses. We awesome. Did we did. And by the way, I'm just going to give a shameless plug for these two because they won't do it for themselves. But these two are both really brilliant and educated film critics who can help you see those things that Joseph was talking about, who can help you understand greater things about movies and storytelling. Really, and we'll plug this, we'll plug both of them later. Go check out their stuff. If you're interested in this, and everything we've said today is kind of applicable across every art form, both movies, books, video games, music. Um, but these two people we've had in the podcast, uh, our host and our guest, go check out their stuff because truly they're really, if you want to engage with art in a deeper level, they're the ones to read and and view. So uh, shameless plug to do that with these guys. You already have them right here. Nathan, you're so wise. You're so excited, yeah. Nathan. I was, yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, yes. Anyway, blessings and curses. So this is our segment where we take a work of art, media, or resource and recommend it, i.e. bless it or diss it, i.e. curse it. So uh Joey, we always give our guests uh, opportunity to go last or first in giving blesses and or curses. Uh, where would you like to go in the lineup? I am happy to go first. I do have nice. both my, my bless and my, my curse awesome. ready. You're prepped. So um, shall I begin with the bless or shall I end on the sour note? It's up <laughs> to you. Choice. Ooh, okay. Um, well, I'll start with the positive. Um, I would like to bless... Barbenheimer as a phenomenon, not even just mm. Barbie the movie and Oppenheimer the movie, although both of those I would bless. I enjoyed both of them um, very much. 
But the experience of that time was something that I personally had not experienced in a movie theater for about 20 years. The the last time I remember people really getting excited for a movie, culturally going together, dressing up, doing that kind of thing was when The Lord of the Rings came out. Yeah. Um, and it, it was very encouraging to see that we are still capable of that and that people still want to come together culturally for art that way. Um, so both of those films, but in particular, the the phenomenon overall, I, I would like to bless that and see more of it in, in the future someday. Amen. No, it's true. I, I will say this. The fact that it didn't turn into a competition of like, oh, which movie is going to win? It turned into, we're going to, guys, we're going to see both today. Like, I'm, we're going to dress, you know, we're dressed in pink, you know, for the 10 a.m. show and then dress in, in nice U40 garb for the for the 4 o'clock show. Like, it, it became a celebration of cinema that we were all doing together. It yeah. was really quite inspiring. I love it. So, yeah. okay, we got to hear your curse now. We got to hear curse, yes. So, uh, for my curse, this probably will not be a surprise now. I, I am going to have to curse James Cameron at his Avatar films. I just... Yes! Those are the kind of blockbuster that I think do wrong by humanity. It, it I mean, I, I re-watched the original Avatar film, and the story felt so void of real meaning. Um, I, I was just truly astounded by it. You know, all special effects, and it... It was a little insulting, actually, to think that that was what I was supposed to love. I thought, oh, this this doesn't really speak to my humanity much at all. So I, I'm going to have to diss James Cameron, you know, the great billion-dollar movie maker. I just, I don't like the Avatar films. You know, it's so funny you say that because everyone seems to love these movies. And I remember I was like, you know what? And I hadn't seen, I didn't go all the craze when they were in theaters, the first one. And I was like, I should probably watch this. Everyone loves it. I bet I'll like it. Guys, I didn't even like finish like 25 minutes. It was just so boring. And we talked about this before uh, we started recording today. But the thing is, I'm I'm a fan of bad movies. I like bad movies. They're fun, but boring movies are unforgivable. And so I'm so happy to have my experience validated by an actual film critic. So uh, good curse. Good curse. Yeah, no, I agree. Because we're all united here. I, you know, before AI was a thing, you know, James Cameron was doing, you know, chat GPT stories and putting them with big budgets where it's just it's just the the, the stick figures. I think it's Jillian, as you, you put it, as, is of of stories that and it's powerful stories that he's ripping off from. But it is just kind of recycled the, the stick figures and, and contours of it. But again, he's. He's made a, you know, a, he's made like two billion dollars on both of those films. So I don't know why Martin Scorsese doesn't, but doesn't, you know, use those as the the examples of of people getting dumped down with with blockbusters. But I digress. Uh, but yes, I we're united on our a dislike of that. Good, good curse, good curse. We very much appreciate that. Um, okay, and uh, Nathan, your blessings and curses. My blessings and curses. I'm going. <laughs> Super unoriginal today. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, super unoriginal. Totally expected. But I think it's a really, really, really good movie to kind of show that thing we were talking about where this ability to show something deep and interesting and, and probe the human condition and, and deeper thoughts and philosophy and whatever. Um, at the same time of making something really cinematically beautiful. 
um, uh, and entertaining and enjoyable. Um, I think there's really no better depiction. I mean, there's a lot of good depictions. There's Lord of the Rings. There's, you know, tons of good depictions. But if the one that really stands out to me that I really first saw this is, I'm so sorry that I'm going to say this again, it's The Dark Knight. And I yes. know it's used. I know people say it too much, but it was, what's really interesting is it's technically a superhero film, but it's it's really technically not a superhero film right at the same time so he took this this ip right that is all about comics and you know back bad guys and good guys and beaten up in this and he turned it into this beautiful art house complex film about humanity and motivations and death and life and just really really interesting and deep things but at the same time i was super entertained and engrossed in the narrative and so i think that christopher nolan really has the ability and he showed this over and over again i'm one of the few people who really didn't enjoy oppenheimer and we can get into that to to another time everyone else was like did you like barbie better or did you like oppenheimer better i hated barbie and i liked oppenheimer or people were like i liked oppenheimer and hated barbie barbie i really didn't enjoy either of them um i thought they (laughs) but it doesn't matter that's okay um i'm wrong i understand that i'm wrong but i'm still but i'm still gonna hold to that wrong position but as far as christopher nolan goes i do think that he has generally a real talent for making something that's both really entertaining and and engaging while at the same time having us um uh deeper people for having watched and engaged with his film so i gotta bless the dark knight i think it really is stands as kind of an image of what that can look like um so i'm blessing the dark knight uh because i think it's a great combination as far as curse um man it's hard to think you know like it's the it's like I have too many things that I want to curse because I want to curse like a, a blockbuster film that's just void of any depth. And I want to curse a um, a like a, a art house film that's void of anything engaging or entertaining or interesting. And there's just so many I could do this with. Um, but the ones that just pop into my mind, I've probably mentioned them before. I'm trying to think, but like, um, y- you know, like a- Avatar is a great one. I also think like, you know, John Carter, this went down in history. This, by the way, didn't yeah. make money because there, in my opinion, it didn't have anything. It wasn't good storytelling. It, and there was literally nothing to grab on or make us think deeper. It was just um, it felt like it was um, let's do every trope of blockbuster, big things, lots of CGI explosions and action and people weren't interested i do feel bad for the actor taylor kitsch i think he's a fantastic actor he really showed off a really brilliant chops um and the other stuff he's done um i saw you know originally friday night lights he's fantastic so i feel bad that this is a big foray into movie stardom and it really didn't go well but you know there's the the movie wasn't great and so i'm always going to feel bad that he had that as his first uh his first one but yeah i i guess curse john carter and then on the you know the art house side this like why did we make this uh what am i supposed to get from this um i'm gonna go with an oldie but a goodie that i probably cursed on here before but the neon demon um it's it's ridiculous and it's not entertaining and i did not enjoy it um and not not only did did i not enjoy it there wasn't anything even it was supposedly supposed to be deep and say something and maybe I'm stupid. I don't think I am. But like I said, um, I I just, it didn't feel like there's any, it felt like it was the image of something that was supposed to be deep. But if you scratch the surface, there's nothing beneath it. There's nothing to garner um, or be interesting or complex. It was just someone who's trying to trick me into thinking it was. And so I got to curse the Neon Demon on the other side. So I cursed the Nire House film. I cursed a blockbuster film. No one can be mad at me. Um, I need people's affection and, and love. No one can get mad at me. Please, I'm begging you. Uh, but those are my blessings and curses. On the flip side, everyone could be mad at you. 
Oh, <laughs> that's true God. too. I just need one or the other. I just need I just need not a few people to be mad at me. Either everyone universal hate me. or universal love. Exactly. I will take either. Yes. <laughs> that's fair. I think you're you're on your way. Um so uh I'm going to I, I'm gonna try to be quick, obviously. I'm gonna be blessing a few movies that I think again for people who are wanting to have find um, movies that maybe they wouldn't have watched, but I think do uh, strike that balance of being something that is uh, entertaining, but also more interesting, a little bit more challenging than normal. Some recent ones, particularly. Uh, I, I first of all, I'm going to recommend the uh, the new uh, Japanese Godzilla minus one, okay. which is. Again, it's a movie, every time I say it's Godzilla, people think they know what it's going to be. And then they watch it and they find out it's about generational trauma, survivor's guilt, and learning to unlearn cultural messages about how your life doesn't matter. Uh, It is a, like a deep drama, psychological drama with Godzilla. And it's it's, it's such a good bless. That is such a good bless. Yes. And I, I, I walked out of that movie genuinely feeling I'm like this is how I should feel at the end of a blockbuster film because mm-hmm. I was literally weeping nice. and saying I I I I believe life is more worth living now than I did afterwards. It was really quite quite a remarkable spirit. So I definitely bless that. Obviously we mentioned the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once which yep. is, you know, doing weird interesting stuff and deep psychological philosophical stuff and character work but also is deeply entertaining. I'm also going to bless one of the one of the um uh, best picture nominees of this year, uh, Anatomy of a Fall. And that's a a psychological drama, courtroom drama that is you know about a, the potential murder of you know uh, a, a boy's father and a woman's husband. But what it ultimately ends up being about, and it ends up being like, well, who do you trust? What what narratives you trust? But it ultimately ends up being about choose what when you're going to choose to um, be able to control the narrative of your own life and how other people perceive you, um, but also how your child perceives you, but also mm. how you're going to choose to view your parents when you learn things about them you didn't do before. So like, it's it's a deeply, um, I think, great. So if you're looking for like a foreign drama and you haven't really gotten into those before, I definitely recommend that. So those are three films that I recommend. Yeah. Okay, cool. We got the endorsement of, of Jillian. Awesome. Um, so two, two filmmaker approved blesses. Uh, then... The uh, that's the two thumbs up of of the, the modern day, day era. Um, that's a Roger Ebert reference for those who don't know, which is sad that I have to say that. Um, but then uh, the for curses, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go actually a little less controversial for my first one, more controversial for my second one. I'm gonna curse Madam Web because that basically is the how surprising. Sum total. I know it's shocking. Exactly shocking, but it's it's the sum total of all the problems with modern blockbusters. And happily, you know, again, with the corporate kind of like, oh, we got to fit this in, all these things in, and and focus group it to death and have no originality, all cliches. Happily, it didn't do well at the box office. So, you know, that's... Joseph, we can... by any chance, did you write a review of this film? I did write a review of it. it. They can read it in my first, uh, first article I've written for The Federalist. Uh, so you can check out my review of Madam Web there. Um, basically, how I say that it's a, a way of uh, it's a it's it sums up why superhero movies are struggling today. So you look at that up and and uh, wa- read that. Um, and then I'm also going to curse another uh, best picture nominee. I'm going to curse Zone of Interest. So if oh. you want to watch 
watch a movie that is so proud of itself for how impenetrable it is and thinks that the fact that it's so impenetrable makes it deep and that you're stupid for not enjoying it. That's the movie to watch. And it is so, it, it is, it says so little and is so proud of itself for how much it thinks it is saying uh, mm. that it's, it, it is everything. When people make fun of art house movies and say why they don't watch them, that is the movie that they are talking about. And also it's like, but we're about the Holocaust, you know? So it's again, it, it's, it's almost like a, an SNL sketch cliche of the impenetrable art house film. So that is going to be my curse. I know. Come at me, Academy. Actually, come at me because then people would, have, you know, <laughs> actually be able to milk that for a lot of attention. Um, but anyway, so that that will be my curse. Uh, anyway, thank you everybody so much for joining us today, Nathan. Uh, well, first of all, actually, I'm going to start with my guest, uh, Julian. If people enjoy your analysis today, and I don't know why they wouldn't, uh, where can they go to find more of your writing? What would you like people to see that you've done? For starters, they can check out EV Magazine online, um, and uh, they do have a paid subscription, but you can subscribe for free. Um, fantastic writers, um, including um, a, a previous guest, Kelia Clarkson. Um, lots of really wonderful people <laughs> write for She really is. Love her stuff. Um, so I highly recommend you check that out. Um, and also my online newsletter, um, which is about film and other questions to do with beauty and art, um, Tardy Pilgrim, which is a Substack newsletter. Amazing. Awesome. And if you want to uh, connect more with us, the Overthinkers, head over to theoverthinkers.world uh, to find out more about us. And we'd love to hear your feedback on today's episode. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? Um, we, we just love interacting with uh, all you listeners out there. We are so grateful you're here. And please head over to the online Facebook group, The Overthinkers, where we can have you among our ranks talking about all the stuff we talked about today. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to nathanclarkson.me or search my name, Nathan Clarkson. Um, on any of the socials and also in reference to kind of today's topic and about uh, film and art and faith and all these different things. You can read my book I put out a while ago um, called Finding God in Hollywood. I'd love for you to grab a coffee. Co <laughs> coffee. I'd love to grab a coffee, too, but also grab a copy of my book. Uh, Joseph, where can people find you? Um, you can, uh, if you wanted to, uh, you can't find grab a coffee with me, uh, unless we get to know each other a lot better. Um, but you can, uh, find my work, uh, at various places, uh, religion unplugged Christianity today, Acton Institute, the federalist, um, relevant magazine. I have, uh, um, uh, the, what was it an unexpected journal? I have profiles and, uh, articles and all those places. You can check those out. You can also, of course, Check out my website, josephholmstudios.com, and find me on anywhere that I'm on the socials. I am on most of them. Uh, well, thank you again so much, Jillian, for joining us. This was a joy. And thank you, audience members, for joining us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Oh,